my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, of course, where we're talking about the decentralized revolution, the way the world's changing, of course, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And you know, trying to change the way you think about money, trying to change the way you think about the world. So I tried to bring you some education to kind of help change the way you see things and think about things. Of course, some of the latest breaking news headlines, you can stay on top of the world as it's changing and some interesting guests. But right now, I want to talk about what has been going on this week because it has been wild. There's been some big stories that are really cementing my thesis of this decentralized revolution. A lot of times people ask me, Mark, when is the pendulum going to swing back? When all I see is still centralization. I don't see your thesis playing out. Well, one, your Zoom didn't wait too close. But two, Holy cow, it's happening right now. And so uh, this week has been big news, of course, dominated by the banking crisis in the United States. And it's been going on for a couple of weeks, and it is really picking up steam. As a matter of fact, we just saw another bank go down this week, and that is First Republic Bank. Now, it's important to understand what is going on here for a couple of reasons, Um it's not just like, oh, well, another bank go down. A lot of people still have sort of this um, PTSD, if you will, this uh, PTSD from uh, from the 2008 banking crisis the gr- that led to the great financial crisis. And during that time in 2008, we had a lot of banks fail, obviously, right? But can you believe that since then, we've seen an even worse banking crisis? Now, 
what is worse? Well, not worse in the terms of numbers of banks, but in the size of the banks. The largest banking failure in U.S. history happened in 2008. And that was Washington Mutual Bank. And it had um, $300 billion in assets. First Republic Bank is the second largest bank failure in history. It had $229 billion, but we also saw the failure of Silicon Valley Bank. We also saw the failure of Signature Bank. We also saw the failure of Silvergate Bank before that. But Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were the third and fourth largest banking crisis collapses in U.S. history. So collectively, the three banks that have gone down in just the last couple of weeks dwarf what happened. Well, I don't want to say dwarf, but are bigger than what happened in 2008. So while a lot of people say, well, we're not going to see another banking crisis, well, we already are. The banks that have collapsed in just the last three or four weeks are already worse than what happened in 2008. So we're there. Now, I don't want to go through the, all the mechanics of that. I'm sure you've probably already seen enough of that in, in a number of other news sources. But what happened, I think, is is more important here. But even more important than that is, what does this mean and where is where are we going with this? Well, um, you know, one thing that I talk about quite often here is I talk about central bank digital currencies, which is, of course, more centralization. It's, it's the central banks taking over control over the money. And so... Rather than having a decentralized banking system where we have all these regional banks, local banks, credit unions, et cetera, that are making local regional decisions, knowing me personally and knowing what I need in my local area personally, we're moving to an area where we, all we have is these big banks. And these big banks uh, basically take over everything. And then instead of a local banker that knows me and what my local area needs, I have to deal with some banker in New York who doesn't know me and doesn't know what I need. And that's sort of where we're going. And we're seeing it happening in rapid time. As a matter of fact, um, what, what happened with First Republic Bank? Well, it's good for the depositors in the short run. What do I mean? Well, the depositors didn't lose any money. So here we are again. Finding FDINC insurance only covers up to $250,000. However, lots of depositors had funds well over $250,000. So the good news is for the depositors, they didn't lose any money. That all got covered. The bad news is, is that we're continuing to see this centralization of the banks. As a matter of fact, 30 years ago, in the United States, we had almost 11,000 banks. Today, we have about 4,000 banks. So we have about 35% of the banks that we had 30 years ago. So we're seeing this massive centralization. Now, what sort of centralization? Who took it over? Well, of course, it was J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan seems to always be there to help out whenever they need be. As a matter of fact, J.P. Morgan has a long history of this. Uh, we saw them way back in the day uh, helping out. As a matter of fact, before we had the Federal Reserve, J.P. Morgan was there. In the panic of 1907 in the banking crisis, J.P. Morgan stepped up to save the day. Then J.P. Morgan was the one that led to the creation of the Federal Reserve. And now J.P. Morgan is still there saving the day. Now, don't, don't think that there's some hero here. As Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, said, quote, our government invited us to step up, so we did, end quote. 
That's what Jamie Dimon said. So uh, thank you, Jamie Dimon, for thanklessly, for, for serving the American people in a way to save the day, uh, never mind the fact that they generated a one-time gain of $2.6 billion. Yes, with a B, billion. They expect an ongoing $500 million of profit per year. Now, in doing so, they, the reason why they stepped up is because the government took over all the losses of the banks and gave them all the profits, $2.6 billion plus $500 million per year moving forward. The FDIC insurance covered $13 billion in losses. This is another example of socializing the losses and privatizing the gains. We all get to pay for the losses, and Jamie Dimon gets to keep all of the profits. And the FDIC insurance also covered $50 billion in financing for them. So we're seeing the, the centralization of the banking system, the consolidation of the banking system, and it's, um, it's, it's doing a couple things. One, in the short term, it's helping the Federal Reserve to continue to tighten the screws on the economy, to continue quantitative tightening where they're raising interest rates at the fastest rate in history. And of course, it's causing the banks to collapse, but it's pushing them right into the laps of the big banks like JP Morgan. Now, if you don't know, the central bank, the Federal Reserve is not federal and they have no reserves. Uh, they're not federal. They're not part of the government. They're made up of member banks. And who's the most important member bank? Oh, that would be the New York Bank, and that would be Jamie Dimon, of course. Uh, of course, it's Jamie Dimon who, who controls that. And what we're seeing through this consolidation is basically all of the banks that we have, all the smaller banks are consolidating into the big four, which are Citigroup, Citi, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. And they're becoming these two big to fail institutions. We're seeing the end of capitalism as we know it. And really what we're seeing is the nationalization of the banking sector. And it's not over. We see um, this week, more banks are crashing. Uh, PacWest Bank in California, its stock crashed 60%. Um, as a matter of fact, there's an index. Uh, you can look at the KRE. It's a bank index of regional banks, and it is plummeting like a rock. And so all of these small regional banks are collapsing. And what did the Fed do? They raised the rates even more. So what should you expect? Unfortunately, more banking collapses. What else? More socialization of losses and privatizing of gains, more banking consolidation. And so while we're moving into a more centralized world, uh, we also have a decentralized option. So if you're worried about the banking collapse and you're worried about your money in the bank, well, you can opt out. We have Bitcoin. You can easily just buy Bitcoin. Of course, you can go buy gold. You can go buy real estate. You can go buy stocks, whatever you want. But Bitcoin is the decentralized option that's set to counteract all of this and help us defeat the great bank nationalization of 2023. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution, how the world is changing, and we're witnessing it. We're still at the precipice here. We're still watching the pendulum peeking out of centralization and decentralization. I'm running through some of the biggest news headlines of this week. I got more to go through because it has been a busy week. But anyway, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I got more headlines to cover when I come back in a second. Don't go away. I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. 
Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hello, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution like we do each and every week as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And really, we're looking for the convergence of those three things because that's what brings us context and helps us understand what's going on in the world, particularly when it comes to our money, um, which is driving this whole world and this decentralization. Now, you know, like I said, there's been um, so many news stories coming in as so fast, it's hard to stay on top of this. And more importantly, it's hard to understand what is going on. One of the big stories dominated news headlines, as it should, is that the United States government has less than 30 days of cash left on hand. Now, that's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more than a big deal. We're talking about a, what, $26 trillion economy 
the greatest economy in the history of the world, the greatest military in the history of the world, the greatest ingenuity in the history of the world, $26 trillion economy. We're talking, you know, five, $6 trillion of revenue coming in from taxes. And yet they have less than 30 days of cash on hand. Imagine if you ran your finances like that. Now I've been talking about this for a while. It shouldn't come as a huge surprise to you. Part of it, well, it's two parts. How does anyone go broke? Well, it's usually two parts of the equation. One, there's an income problem. And two, there's an expense problem. There's a spending problem. So easy math is you're spending more than you're bringing in, obviously. And so that's what the federal government has, of course, right? They continue to spend more and more money every single year. Um, and they're not, they're spending more than they're making. Now, they're spending more every year. And now we're seeing income plummeting. And I've been talking about this for a while. I told you this was coming six, eight months ago. And the reason why is because the Fed going on the war path of raising rates at the fastest pace in history. And it's doing a couple things. Why are they doing that? Of course, to fight inflation. Prices are going up too much. And so the Fed says, well, here's what we'll do. We'll make everybody broke. And if everybody's broke, then they will stop buying as much. They won't drive as much. They won't eat out as much. They won't travel as much. And that will bring prices down. They're going to crush demand, quote unquote, crush demand by making people broke. The problem is when people are broke and asset prices come down and they don't have as much money to spend, then they don't pay as much taxes. And if they don't pay as much taxes, then the government doesn't have any income. But unlike you and I, who if our income goes down, our expenses go down. No, 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 not the government. Even though income goes down, expenses are still going up. And here we are at the debt limit ceiling again. You've heard this before. We've been at this point several times in history. As a matter of fact, um, dozens of times in history. Because every single time we hit the debt limit, we have to raise it. And every time we get to this point where we hit the debt limit ceiling, a debate happens to how high should we raise it? What should we do about it? And all those things. And here we are at another debate and, you know, seemingly at a stalemate. And again, we've been at a stalemate before, but is it okay? Is it okay if we get past the stalemate? If, in my opinion, even if, and I, and I would say the most probable outcome is we do come to a resolution on this. But even if we do, there's irreparable harm that's happening. So let's break down what's happening a little bit here. So first of all, we're at about $32 trillion of government debt. And when they say, well, we owe it to ourselves. Well, yes and no. If you have like a pension, most likely you've bought government debt and they owe you money. If you're a foreign government or some sort of a sovereign fund, you own government debt. So uh, if the government defaults on that, that means your retirement probably takes a massive hit or goes away, right? But it also does irreparable harm to the, to the country itself. Um, the very fact that we're even debating this weakens the confidence and the trust in the United States government and the currency and all those things. We know that um, in two previous debt ceiling debates in 2011 and 2013 that went uh, for quite a long time that were two of the most extreme um debt debates that we had, we saw the credit rating of the United States government get lowered. What does that mean? Well, when they lowered the um, when they lowered the credit rating, that means that the government has to pay a higher interest rate for the debt. So that happened in, in 2011 during that showdown. Now, 
Alan Greenspan uh, famously went on TV, you know, when he was still head of the Federal Reserve and said that the United States can never default on its debt because it has a money printer. And I've made that case many times. I don't believe any country with a money printer will ever default. However, it's not totally true because there's actually two types of defaults. One is a deflationary default where we don't pay the money. And the second is an inflationary default where we print the money. They're both defaults. So for example, if I owed you a Mona Lisa painting, I borrowed it from you. I owed it to you. But instead of giving you the Mona Lisa print painting, I just printed one off my inkjet printer and I gave it to you. That's inflationary. I printed a counterfeit and I gave you the counterfeit instead of back what you owed. That's, that's, a, that's a default as well. Default one, I don't give you the Mona Lisa back. Default number two, I print it on my inkjet and I give it to you. And that's basically what the government does. So uh, we know in 1933, the government owed gold. And so they just stole it from all the people. 1933, they made it illegal for Americans to own gold. And then they devalued it. They changed the price from $20 an ounce to $35 an ounce. That's a default. 1971, the nations around the world wanted all their gold back from the United States. France sent over warships to collect the gold. And Richard Nixon said, nope, the gold window's closed. We're not giving gold back anymore. That was a default. So it does happen. Um, but here we are back at another debate here. And I, I, I want to break this down for you a little bit, just so you can understand what they're fighting over, so you understand where we're going here. So check it out. So the Biden administration wants unlimited spending power. So just get rid of the debt ceiling limit. Let's just spend as much as we want. The Republicans want to spend a bunch of money as well. They just want to spend a little bit less. So I'm not right or left here. Both sides want to continue to print more money. One side just wants to spend even more. The Republicans have a plan. McCarthy put together a plan called Limit, Save, Grow Act. And they said, look, we'll raise the debt limit by $1.5 trillion. It's not a small number. We'll raise it by $1.5 trillion. And then what we want to do is we want to limit the future budget increases to just 1% a year. Now, Biden administration says, oh, they're going to cut Social Security, they're going to cut Medicare. No, they're going to, the, the Republicans said no caps on Social Security or Medicare. But what they do want is they want stricter welfare rules. Welfare has gotten out of hand. As a matter of fact, it's increased by 240% over the last 40 years. It's gotten out of control, rife with fraud. They want to strict, they want to, they want to tighten that up a little bit. They also want to cut the $80 million that the Biden administration wants to give to the IRS to arm a bunch of uh, IRS officers to come shine flashlights into your accounts of $600 or more. They also want to cancel the student loan forgiveness because that's the largest asset on the government's books. They want to repeal some pieces of the IRA Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and they want to add legislation to bring U.S. energy back to the United States, meaning, you know, uh, get more oil and natural gas out of the ground and make the United States energy independent again. All sound like good things to me. It still increases the, the budget by $1.5 trillion. But of course, the Biden administration says, no deal, no deal. You're going to shut it down. So we'll see how this plays out. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us that there is massive amounts of money printing ahead either way, Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter, which means more inflation ahead. And so we know the directionality. We don't know the timing. We know the directionality. Um, if you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution. I'm running through some of the biggest news headlines and articles this week so you can understand what's going on in the world and, more importantly, the direction that we're heading in the time frame. These are the signposts that show you where we're going. I got a whole lot more to cover. There are some even bigger news that I haven't talked about yet that happened this week. I'm going to take a quick break. You don't want to miss it, so don't go away. I'll be right back. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to The Mark Ma Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. And I'm running through some of the biggest breaking news headlines. Of course, I like to look at them through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And the technology is what changes the world more than anything. And of course, that technology that's changing the world right now is Bitcoin, the decentralized protocol, the decentralized network. Now, you know, talking about Bitcoin, I went on record. I made a couple of videos on my main YouTube channel, Mark Moss. I do a couple of teaching videos there per week. So if you want to check those out where I have slides and graphs and presentations, just go to Mark Moss. Check out my main YouTube channel there. Um, also, by the way, if you miss any of these shows, you can watch me and listen to me on the Market Disruptors YouTube channel. But on my main YouTube channel, I made some videos and I went on uh, Fox Business and Stansbury Radio and all the big shows. And I, I made the statement that I believe that Bitcoin, I'm sorry, not Bitcoin, cryptocurrency as a category wouldn't have another bull run. Bitcoin will, but cryptocurrency wouldn't as a category. And and the reason why I said that is because after the uh, collapse of FTX, I knew that the financial regulators were going to come after it so hard that it would drive a lot of that um venture capital money away. And people say, Mark, you don't understand. It's going to go offshore. Uh, Yes, it will. I agree. Uh, Mark, you don't understand. Like, we'll still trade it on decentralized protocols. Yes, you will. I get that. But the big money, the venture capitalists that were putting the hundreds of millions of dollars in and putting the money into advertising and talking it on TV, that would go away. And so would would there be little assets that will still blow up like uh, what just happened this week with that Pepe coin and went up 2000%? Sure, that still will happen. But as a category, the days of just you know closing your eyes, throwing a dart and having everything go up, I think that's over. I saw this week, um, longtime crypto advocate, um, not a big fan, not a, not a big friend of Bitcoin. Um, I've used uh, some clips of him. I'm talking about Chamath Pelapatea, if I said that right. Chamath is what they call him. And I think he's uh, he's like early, early uh, Facebook. Uh, he's an early Bitcoin adopter. He's also been involved in a lot of uh, cryptocurrencies. He was a big, big adopter of uh, Solana. Um, 
there's a video that I've used before. Other people have posted around where uh, you hear him and like David Sachs laughing about they only buy at a discount, meaning they buy cheaper than retail. And then when they can, they dump it, you know, they dump it on retail. Uh, but anyway, he went on, uh, he was on CNBC this week talking about how he says, quote, crypto is dead in America. The reason why he says that is because the United States has, he says the United States authorities have firmly pointed their guns at cryptocurrency. So basically what I'm saying, right? The regulators are coming so fast and so hard after cryptocurrency overall that he says it's dead in America, meaning that it's all going to start going offshore. And we've seen that. But again, that's crypto, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is has been just blowing up in adoption. The price has been doing good, the adoption. And what we typically want to look at is development on the network and use of the network. And I saw this week, Jack Dorsey's the founder of Twitter, previous CEO of Twitter. Um, he has left now to go start Bitcoin companies. He said he wants to dedicate the rest of his life to working on Bitcoin. He announced a legal uh, defense fund uh, for any, any type of uh, cases that could come against um, open source developers. So if anybody wanted to bring cases against any of the open source developers, because Bitcoin is an open source network, anybody can join it, anybody can use it, anybody can, can it's permissionless, open, it's borderless, permissionless, et cetera, whereas cryptocurrency is not. And so cryptocurrency, you know, like uh, Ethereum, Solana, or Cardano, et cetera, is, is private, right? It's a, it's a central entity. Um, and uh, while there are developers that work on it, Bitcoin is all open source. And so these core developers aren't getting paid. There's no uh, company funds that pay them, There's et cetera. And so he's opened up a legal defense fund. I thought that was pretty interesting. But talking about the development that's been going on, it's been blowing up. You might, of course, know by now about Michael Saylor. He's uh, one of the largest Bitcoin holders in the world, billionaire, owns like 130,000, something like that Bitcoin worth um, billions of dollars. His company, MicroStrategy, which is a technology company, um, has been holding an event all week for corporate leaders um, talking about ways they can integrate Bitcoin and Lightning into their businesses for payments, how they can reimagine their payments. Bitcoin isn't just a form of money. It's a network. And with Bitcoin and the network and the Lightning network, there's all types of new use cases that can be done on that network. And that's exactly what they're talking about. And so remember, we want to look at two things, the development on the network and the growth of the network. And this is massive development on the network. He's bringing Fortune 500 CEOs, um, financial executives, technology innovators from all over the world in to figure out how they can use this new network, not the money, the network and the technology for their businesses. Uh, pretty amazing. I also saw this week something that I thought was really cool, and that is um, a new type of network, uh, a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, if you will, um, that's being built on Bitcoin. And so this would be a uh, full-fledged marketplace that is censorship resistant. It's permissionless. It's all built on open source technology and it's all peer to peer. And so if you think about, you know, eBay or uh, Amazon, for example, those are marketplaces, right? But Amazon sits in the middle. Amazon says who can and can't sell or buy on Amazon. Amazon sells what can and can't be bought or sold on Amazon. And so you have this central entity that sits in the middle that's able to censor us, 
uh, et cetera. And they want to build um, a new peer-to-peer electronic marketplace, which I thought was pretty cool. And they're using it not on the Bitcoin technology necessarily, but on the Noster architecture. So I've been talking about this quite a bit. We have these open monetary protocols like Bitcoin, and then we have these open communication um, protocols like Noster. Noster is a new way that we can communicate peer-to-peer. So instead of the internet that goes through a central entity, it can communicate peer-to-peer. And so they're building it on top of this Nostra architecture and then integrating the Bitcoin Lightning Network into it. So you have this decentralized platform, decentralized identity, decentralized moderation, and and all and then peer to peer inside of it so we can communicate between us and transfer money it's pretty amazing it's just in the beginning stages right now but it gives you an idea of exactly what's going on here in the space and it's like i said it's happening fast and of course you know while there's this massive innovation happening just like any time there would be what we call creative destruction uh, something new comes a new creation, it destroys the old way. And unfortunately, disruptive technology does that. And so we're seeing some crazy pushback. As a matter of fact, this week, we saw the White House, President Biden, and the administration put together one of the most stupid, most crazy bills I could even imagine. And they want to propose a 30% tax on any energy that would be used by Bitcoin miners. So if you buy a computer and plug it in and happen to use that computer on a network in a data center to work on Bitcoin, you have to pay a 30% tax on that energy. But if you use the computer in the data center to stream porn or to play video games or watch YouTube videos, you don't have to pay a tax. So now the government is going to tell you what you can and can't use your computer for you, what you can and can't use electricity for. Think about that for a second. I've said, you know, I've seen uh, the government's talking about banning uh, what type of stove you can use. When the government is trying to tell you what, <laughs> what you can cook your food with, when the government's trying to tell you what you can and can't use your electricity for, I think the government's too big. Now, I think the government's been way too big for way too long anyway, but it's definitely too big when they're trying to tell you what you can cook your food with or what you can use your electricity for. And it's coming to a head. We're going to see this all happening uh, much faster than we could imagine, especially really coming to a head in this next presidential election um, where we're starting to see president elect um, potential um, presidential candidates on both sides of the aisle running on a Bitcoin and central bank digital currency platform. Ron DeSantis on one side, RFK Jr. on the other, and Vimic Ramaswamy uh, coming out of nowhere, trying to make a name for himself, also running on that platform. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution, the way the world changes. And I got more news headlines that you don't want to miss. I'm going to be back in a second. I'm going to take a quick break. Don't go away. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. (laughs) 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we are always talking about the way the world is changing from a centralized world to a decentralized world, and we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and we're running through some of the biggest news headlines this week so you can see that it is literally happening right before our very eyes. And, of course, we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology because, like I said, I think that gives us the most comprehensive view. Like I said, it brings everything into context, and they all feed into each other, right? So solutions come to problems, problems need solutions, etc. And, man, us... <laughs> Uh, coming from, I don't know, the great state of California, we'll call it that. I was going to say the uh, formerly great state of California. In my opinion, it's still great. Uh, sure, it's bankrupt. And sure, it's full of homeless people. And sure, it's leading, trying to lead in crime. But um, <laughs> it's still pretty great. I heard, uh, what was his name? Uh, I mentioned him earlier. Adam Carolla. And he's from California. And he was talking about how he's like, I think he's a comedian, so it'd be more funny coming from him. But he said something like, um, I think California is sort of like that, you know, uh, really hot girl in, in high school that everyone thought was the most beautiful girl. And now she's like 45 or 50 years old, right? Like California still seems to be living off its laurels, but I think it's still great. Anyway, um, unfortunately, in the big cities of California, which I do not live in, luckily I'm living in a red county in a red town, but in some of the big cities of California, it is a complete and utter nightmare. As a matter of fact, San Francisco is trying to lead the world and show the way um, that we shouldn't go, but yet for some reason, cities seemingly want to copy what San Francisco is doing. As a matter of fact, Los Angeles brought the district attorney of San Francisco down and gave him a job in LA so they could turn LA into the same as San Francisco, which again is not a way that we should be wanting to go. Uh, but in San Francisco, it has been a complete breakdown of all law and order. And what do you think happens with a breakdown of law and order? When you have, uh, they, when you decriminalize crime, when you decriminalize crime, uh, drug use, uh, when you decriminalize crime of theft, uh, you know, any, any theft under $1,000 is okay. When you decriminalize those things, when you decriminalize resisting arrest, what do you think happens? Well, you, you, you get more of it. <laughs> so you have people living all over the streets in San Francisco, doing drugs in, in daylight, uh, stealing from all the stores, and the police will do nothing about it because it's not a crime. Uh, I once heard a saying that said that uh, San Francisco is the city where a dog has to be afraid to step in human feces. And while that's kind of a joke, not really. If you've been there, especially in these main downtown areas, you know that's the truth. And, you know, unfortunately what happens when you have high crime like that is that law-abiding citizens can't stay there. 
nobody's going to live there. The reason why, one of the one of the main reasons why people leave these third world countries is because they don't feel safe there. And so you can look at oh, example after example after example. I've gave the story of uh, Detroit before of how that city fell into disrepair. And basically the people that can afford to leave, leave. And so in San Francisco, um, in the downtown areas, the people that can't afford to leave have left. And all the stores that have been left there have been hit with a double whammy. One, their customers that had money to shop there are no longer there. But two, because now any homeless person can steal whatever they want from them, and they do, they're constantly being hit with theft. And we're seeing example after example after example of businesses shutting down. As a matter of fact, we saw uh, Whole Foods, I think, in the last week announcing that they're done. Uh, They had people overdosing in the bathrooms. They had fights breaking out, constant theft. We just saw this week Nordstrom is now shutting down both downtown San Francisco stores. And, of course, they cite difficult conditions. They said, quote, the dynamics of the downtown San Francisco market have changed dramatically over the past several years, impacting customer foot traffic to our stores and our ability to operate successfully. Yeah, turns out when you have uh, people blocking the entrances and defecating on the floors and overdosing in the bathrooms, um, people don't want to go there. And when people don't want to go there and you're not making money and then everyone's stealing from you, turns out, yes, it is in their quote, uh, it's difficult to operate successfully. But I don't understand why when you see this happening, people want more of it. We saw in Chicago, we're seeing the same thing. Chicago voters had a clear choice. Elect a new mayor who would be tougher on crime or elect a new mayor who would be more lenient on crime. And somehow they chose someone to be more lenient on crime. Look, nobody wants this. Somehow this is getting through. I'll let you fill in the blank on how. Nobody wants to live in an area of crime. Nobody. I mean, I guess if you're a criminal. Uh, but <laughs> no productive of society, no productive member of society wants to do that. I saw REI is now closing its Portland store, citing break-ins and theft. In an email to customers Monday, REI said its store in Portland, quote, had its highest number of break-ins and thefts in two decades, despite actions to provide extra security, end quote. They're done with it. They can't, they can't do it. Nobody wants to live there, and no stores can operate on that. Now we're seeing Office Depot will close its downtown location um, in San Francisco. An employee confirmed on Tuesday the closes the closers are the latest in a series of retailers leaving Union Square in downtown San Francisco. I mean, it's just it's just a bloodbath going on everywhere. And of course, like I said, who wants to live around in those types of areas? And what happens if this continues? What type of world do we have? What type of world do we live in? If people are just eager to riot and loot now, what will America look like once the economic conditions really get bad? Like, this isn't what a civilized society looks like. You're supposed to punish crime. Unfortunately, you have to punish crime. In, uh, in California high schools, the teachers aren't even allowed to send kids to the principal's office anymore. Because if they send somebody to the principal's office, they might feel bad about themselves. And so they can't do that. When I was a kid, you would go to the principal's office and they would spank you. They would get out a paddle and literally spank you. That used to happen. And guess what? We didn't have all this crime back then. People need correction. You know anything about training animals? <laughs> uh, if you know anything about human nature, there's a carrot, 
there's incentives, and there's a stick. And it's not just the United States we're seeing this. We're seeing uh, France is also breaking down. If you haven't been paying attention, I don't know where you've been living, but for like about the last 100 days or so, France has had massive amounts of protests going on. Um, President Macron is trying to quiet things down. He's calling for, quote, a new pact of life and work. But the people don't want it. The people don't want it. And they want to point to, well, they have to raise the retirement age by two years, uh, you know, or whatever. But that's not it. It's a long line of abuse. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. And so uh, the people are over it. The people are tired of it. There's millions of people in the streets in, in, uh, in France uh, rioting, uh, fighting with police. And social, uh, mainstream media wants to be silent on this. Mainstream media wants to have a complete blackout. If you're on social media, specifically like on Twitter, you can see firsthand accounts, firsthand videos of this. Uh, but this is not just the United States issue. When, anywhere they want to be soft on these things, it's going to happen. Now, what does this mean for America? Well, one, we could take away, shoot, uh, we probably don't want pension reform here in the United States because uh, people might not like that. Uh, but ultimately, we have to, we're going to have to repeal, we're going to have to pull back on these authoritarian measures. Uh, you can only push the people so far. History is a never-ending repeat story of, vi- of, of peace and freedom, but then eventually repression and then eventually revolution. And it's just a never-ending story of that. And I don't want that to continue. And so hopefully the leaders will see this and start pulling back. But unfortunately, it looks like we're headed into a recession. Now, I've been listening to the Mark Ma Show, talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about the way the world is changing before our very eyes. And that's what I got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.